You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm super excited to have Shauna Robinson on the show with me. She has an amazing debut book. It's called Must Love Books. And uh, this book was so much fun for me because, you know, it's a little bit inside baseball. Um, it, 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 writing about writers and and about the process in, in fiction is so much fun to me because, um, you know, it's, it's just a, a peek behind the thing that we love so much. And, and uh, you know, no matter where you are, uh, if you're a writer yourself, if you're a reader and just love stories, there's something here that everyone's going to love. And uh, what a fantastic book to start with. Uh, and uh, welcome to the show, Shauna. Thank you, Hank. I'm really excited to be here. And yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm I'm glad you you liked the, the inside baseball aspect. That was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> it's it, it is definitely one of the most fun parts to read or, or you know. Um and we're going to talk all about that in just yes, a minute. Yes, we are. But before we get to that, we begin each show with the same question. And that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? I think it started with Shel Silverstein. I I had his uh, several of his books, and you know, one of them being Where the Sidewalk Ends. And I just remember I initially wanted to be a poet because at the time, you know, I was like six years old, and I was like, okay, poetry is Shel Silverstein, and you just write funny things that rhyme, and I want to do that. And so I had a little notebook, and I just I copied his poems because I thought that's what writing poetry was, and um, I did try my hand at a few of my own too, and. But then as I started reading more and reading actual like chapter books, I, I realized, oh, no, this is the writing I want to do. I don't want I don't want to write, you know, poetry that's that's thoughtful or, or funny or rhymes or put thought into it. I just want to write some words and not care about the construct. And I so I think as I just kept reading books, then my my love of writing morphed into not being Shel Silverstein, but just being an author, period. <laughs> I brought in my scope. Shel Silverstein was such a fascinating character um, in, in his own right, too. Uh, so many people um, have stories just like you did. I, I, I remember as a kid having Shel Silverstein books and, um, uh, you know, having one idea of who Shel was. And then as I grew up and became an adult, I started seeing, you know, his name attached to other things that had nothing to do with these books that I had loved as a kid. And um, he something that a, a lot of people don't know. He wrote that Johnny Cash song, "A Boy Named Sue." Um, yes. Like what? You know, <laughs> where what? Where did that come from? You know. Um, but you know, one thing that I took away from from that is that Shell was a creative person who was not afraid to, um, to to kind of follow all of his passions, and and I think it worked out pretty okay for him. 
Yeah. And I also just loved like his, his silly sense of humor. Right. Um, I think that really left an, an impression on me. Um, but, you know, he's also not just silliness. He had the giving tree, which I know people now see is like, well, maybe the, the tree gave, gave too much. But that was also just just had such depth. And some yeah. of his poems were funny, but they also had depth. So he really uh, he did it all. Yeah, absolutely. So as a as a kid who, you know, found the, the fascination uh, early on and then realized that this was something that that you wanted to do, how did you start pursuing that? What you know, did you start writing stories of your own and uh, kind of at what age did did the the reality that, you know, maybe this is something that that I need to really be pouring myself into? I was recently reading through my, my my early diaries from when I was like, I had one from ages 11 to 13 and then another more angsty one from ages 13 to 17. Um, and in the 11 to 13 one, I think I was like 11 years old and I just wrote like, oh, my best friend said she started writing a book. I want to do that. And then the next entry is, is me like, I've written three pages. And I think that was just the first time someone my age saying, oh, I've started this project. I'm sorry, my dog has come up to me. So those are the sounds of any something <laughs> here. Um, and and me thinking, oh, like I that hadn't ever occurred to me that that was something I could do myself. And so, and I, I think I, I only wrote like maybe 13 pages total it wasn't much but then I think that after that inkling it just kind of became something that I looked for more opportunities to do like that best friend and I on one of our sleepovers we started writing Gilmore Girls fan fiction where we would just like pass the computer back and forth to one another like like she would write a little bit and I would write a little bit and and then it just kind of kept growing like when I was 13 I got obsessed with this 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 band Simple Plan and I was on a fan site and there there was like a, a fan fiction thing there and I was like I, I feel like I can write better than this um, and so then I started writing a fan fiction and, and posting it on a website and then I met who is now still my very best friend through that and then we started writing things together so it all just really snowballed and it all started with that realization that, oh, anyone can write and all you have to do is start writing. Blew my mind. I love that. Um, one thing that, that I, I love to hear people talk about is, you know, in those early days when when you're really finding your voice and, and, and really kind of exploring what it means to, to be a storyteller and, and a creative person. And, and I love that, you know, you and your friend had that kind of shared experience of passing the computer back and forth. Those are, those are great memories. Um, were there any adults around, maybe a parent, uh, maybe a grandparent, maybe a teacher that recognized that storytelling gene that was starting to, to blossom and, and gave any sort of encouragement? Definitely teachers. Um, you know, I was too private to like tell my parents anything. I think when I was 13, I told my dad that I was that I was writing a story on on a website. He was like, oh, I went to the website, but there are so many stories there. Which one is yours? I was like, I'm not telling you that. Um, <laughs> but my teachers who would actually read my writing, they were the ones who encouraged me. Like in seventh grade, when my English teacher, she made everyone in the class submit uh, like a short fiction piece for our school's literary magazine. And so I wrote one and I submitted it and it got chosen. And I never would have had that feeling if 
she hadn't made us do that because I, you know I, I don't think I had the self-esteem or even just the, the knowledge or the thought that, that would even happen um, and then I had another teacher or a couple of teachers in eighth grade who would you know they would see my writing and they would like set me aside and, and say hey you, you do a good job of this you should like keep at this and that I think went went a long way too in encouraging me and giving me the the motivation some of the tools to feel like I could really pursue that an innocent client the first book in the Joe Dillard legal thriller series a preacher is found brutally murdered in a Tennessee motel room a beautiful mysterious young girl is accused in this best-selling debut Criminal defense lawyer Joe Dillard has become jaded over the years as he's tried to balance his career against his conscience. Savvy but cynical, Dillard wants to quit doing criminal defense, but he can't resist the chance to represent someone who might actually be innocent. His drug-addicted sister has just been released from prison, and his mother is succumbing to Alzheimer's. But Dillard's commitment to the case never wavers despite the personal troubles and professional demands that threaten to destroy him. Chosen by BookBub readers as one of the top 100 crime novels of all time, get started on this great series with an innocent client where it all started. Read for free with Kindle Unlimited or buy it in paperback or audiobook. An Innocent Client by Scott Pratt. Things We Never Got Over the new book by best-selling author Lucy Score. Bearded bad boy Barber Knox refers to live his life the way he takes his coffee, alone, unless you count his basset hound Waylon. Knox doesn't tolerate drama even when it comes in the form of a stranded runaway bride. Naomi wasn't just running away from her wedding. She was riding to the rescue of her estranged twin to knock him out Virginia, a rough-around-the-edges town where disputes are settled the old-fashioned way with fist and beer, usually in that order. Too bad for Naomi, her evil twin hasn't changed at all. After helping herself to Naomi's car and cash, Tina leaves her with something unexpected. The niece Naomi didn't know she had. Now she's stuck in town with no car, no job, no plan, and no home, with an 11-year-old going on 30 to take care of. There's a reason Knox doesn't do complications or high-maintenance women, especially not the romantic ones. But since Naomi's life imploded right in front of him, the least he can do is help her out of her jam. And just as soon as she stops getting into new trouble, he can leave her alone and get back to his peaceful, solitary life. At least that's the plan until the trouble turns to real danger. Things We Never Got Over, the new book by best-selling author Lucy Score. How did you wind up working in publishing, Shauna? It started in college. I was looking for work-study jobs, and I saw a, a listing for our, our university's press, and, and I thought, well, that seems like a thing. Um, because at the time, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do, and I just knew that I liked booked, books, and I had, was majoring in English, but you know, the moment of graduation in my mind after that was just question marks. So when I saw that, I was like, I could I could work with manuscripts and, and things. And so I, I worked there at the university press in college for almost a year. And then I got an internship at uh, another publisher 
for like the following summer. And then after I graduated, I ended up taking a job with that same publisher I had interned with for a summer. And so that remains my my only publishing experience was those two places. But I worked at the the place that I had my first full time job with for like three and a half years after that. So um, as someone who has been a lifelong book lover like like I am, um, I, in my mind um, and, and doing this podcast for the last eight years has has really uh, shined a light on uh, a, a lot of aspects of publishing that that the the general reading audience don't really get a view into. And, you know, working with a lot of people from publishers and things like that, you you, you get to you know the curtains pulled back a little bit you know to to use the the uh the oz analogy um as someone who was a a book lover like you were to get to kind of get your foot into the door and to step into the machinery of publishing um how did your uh your views of kind of the magic of of you know book writing publishing book selling what, how did those things start to change? So from my, I always felt because the publishing I worked in was like nonfiction. Um, I felt like I never fully got to step inside that room because I think when everyone dreams of publishing, they think of publishing fiction and novels and and working with the next great American author. And since so I spent all my time in publishing thinking like, you know, I get this experience and then maybe one day I can join the big leagues and and work in fiction. And so I I think for me, there's still a little bit of magic because I don't know what it's like to, to publish fiction from that side. But um, from my my working in nonfiction publishing perspective, it it was um, an, an experience for me to just see the the daily grind of it all like books don't just magically happen there's a lot of like admin stuff you have to do that i didn't think about that kind of um killed the dream a little bit where <laughs> for for every book that there is you have to enter it into your system and of course the, the the project management system is really outdated and you have to deal with all the finicky things and then you set you know a date for when it's going to come out and then you tell the author hey this is your deadline the author's like cool and then they ignore it and then <laughs> and so then all these like really nice authors who are, are wonderful to work with um they kind of become like they're, you know, they're people, they have their own jobs that this book is not their full time job for most of them. They become little inconveniences in a way because you're like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this thing and I need you to play your part in order to not create more work for me. And then they say, hey, I have another job and it's this whole other life and I, I can't make this date. And I'm telling you the day before. And so then that's an inconvenience. And so then suddenly instead of seeing books as these, these beautiful, wonderful things you're seeing, all the little work it creates for you, which is quite a bit. I love that. Um, it, it's it's kind of a weird moment when when everyone that you uh, you know have these illusions of you, the life that they live, you realize that well they have to get up and take a shower and brush their teeth and get a cup of coffee and and all of that before any magic happens. You know, just <laughs> kind of just like me, it's kind of weird. Um, was was must love books the first novel that you've written, Shauna? Yes, 
like I had written a lot before, but that was like it wouldn't it was novel length, but it fell in the realm of, you know, like fan fiction I was writing in high school or in college. And this was the first thing that I set out to write that was like completely original fiction and that I intended to be like a novel like thing. That's fascinating. Um because a lot of times, you know, when when I talk to someone with a debut book, um, this, you know, may be the second or third or seventh or in the case of uh, fantasy author Brandon Sanderson, you know, the 13th novel that they had um, written before getting published. Um, did um, was it difficult to to keep the singular focus of this book? You know, um, I, I, I don't know your whole publishing journey yet. Um, but was when you finished the book, um, did you experience any rejection from publishers? Did did uh, you know? The, did you sell it to the first person that that you pitched it to? Like, what was that journey like? So after it took me like three years to write it, just because I kept you know abandoning it and going off and doing something else because you know I didn't think I want to mount to anything. It's a little word document I have, um, but. I so when I finished the first draft, it was like October 2018, and I sent it to two people. I sent it to my husband um, and my my friend who had worked in publishing with me and who was also in she was in grad school for creative writing and she was also working on a novel. And so I sent it to the two of them. Um, I told my husband he could not give me feedback unless I was drunk and I, I rarely drink. So he never ended up giving me feedback. And um, it took my friend, I think, several months before she was able to get to it. But, you know, she gave me a lot of good notes. That was a lot for me to take in because it was just a lot of things I hadn't thought about because I at the time wasn't really taking in all, you know, I wasn't following up with like industry blogs and websites or what authors are doing or what the advice is, or even how like the querying process worked. I didn't know any of that. I just wrote my my story. And so when she was telling me things about like, like hey, you need to have like the catalyst moment happen here and you need to have like a, a, a plot and this main character needs to have like a journey. Like, what am I rooting for? What is she working towards? And so that really opened my eyes into everything it was missing and just the kind of story structure aspect. Like it turns out you can't just start writing in a document and just just <laughs> write scenes that that like you feel like writing and just, you know, whatever vibes with you at the time. You can't actually do that. So she recommended a lot of writing resources and like plotting resources. And I like took a few months from doing anything. And then later that summer, just like the summer of 2019, I I really started like recon, reconfiguring things and doing the, the actual plotting and uh, where, what beats I want to hit and what the, where the plot points are going to be. And so that was like my major revision. And then I, I, I kind of sat on it for a while again. And in early 2020, I thought about querying to agents. But I, it was that there was like that niggling voice in the back of my mind that was like, okay, but you know that there are still these parts where you don't want anyone to look too closely because you know that it doesn't make sense yet. Uh, so why don't we address those parts still? So then I did another round of revisions, just trying to polish it up and address those last kind of potholes and logistical things. And then finally, in May of 2020, I, I sent out my first round of queries, and then I. I got an automatic rejection, I think the same day. I was like, sure, that, that makes sense. Right. Um, but then the next day, or maybe the next day after that, a, an agent wanted to see like 
my first 50 pages and I was over the moon and I sent them. And then the next day, another agent wanted to see pages. And that was bizarre because I was just expecting all rejections. And then the next morning, an agent asked to see the full manuscript. And at this point, I thought maybe there was some kind of mass joke being playing out, played on me. Like that had to be the only explanation. And then I think a couple weeks later, I participated in PitMad and about, I don't know, nearly 40 agents and editors, like eight, mostly agents reached out to me asking to see the book. And that was when I just had like a week long panic attack. But <laughs> so uh, it was just for my first round of querying essentially that I got an offer from my agent. And I was not expecting that. Like I was ready for like rejections and to, to just like not have to set the book aside and write a new book. And so having something that was so counter to my expectations just had me like chugging Pepto-Bismol for, for a few days there. One one thing that really jumped out at me uh, about your story, that uh, the fascinating story, by the way, um, is that um, when when you did get feedback uh, about your manuscript before you queried and, and all of that from from your your friend and 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 uh, other places that that you set that aside and kind of stewed on it, ruminated on on the feedback that you had gotten. A lot of people want to just dive right in, start making changes. Uh, some people will finish a, a first draft and just immediately go into editing and um, and things like that. But was was that important to you to and and looking back having that time where you kind of didn't do anything but just thought about it and just let the story um you know grow and change in your mind before you started doing the actual typing work on the manuscript was that a a, a crucial point in the process to you looking back definitely like i i admire the people who can dive right in but i personally was just too overwhelmed by everything and so if I did try to dive right in I I wouldn't have known where to start or what I was doing and so just having some time to to sit back like not think about it whatsoever not stress or worry about like how am I going to do this she said my book needs a plot what is a plot um just just finally gave me so much distance that I started to miss it and I started to think of it as not something that I couldn't do but something that was an interesting challenge and so when I got to that point where I missed it, that was when I knew I was like, okay, I think I, I think I can dive back in and try to take this on. Shauna, one of my favorite things to ask people is um, uh, that I, I'm fascinated with the beginnings of things, where stories begin. And, um, you know, some people will ask the trite question, you know, where do you get your ideas from? And, and ideas are everywhere. You know, you just need to listen for, for the good ideas. Um, but at one moment, um, must love books did not exist in any form whatsoever. And then, uh, one day, a, a character, you know, maybe it was Nora, um, Nora Hughes, your, your main character, maybe she walks on the stage of your mind and then, you know, well, I wonder what, who she is and what she's about. And then, you know, the, the story starts to come alive, or maybe you're reading something that, that, you know, triggered something in your mind and, you know, that a, a plot starts to unfold or something like that. But w- when that happens, whatever that magic spark is, uh, then a, a book like Must Love Books does exist. And then as the writer, you know, you're kind of excavating and digging that story out and 
polishing it up. And then one day we're holding a book in our hand like I am right now. Um, and you know, what, what is that first moment, uh, that birthing moment uh, for you for Muscle of Books? I love talking about this because it's so random I think I think people may yes. think that because I have like the the publishing background that it must have begun with me thinking about my life and thinking I want to write a book about publishing when <laughs> actually like I have this on like my, my gchat transcript because that was where the idea came from um I was so I was at my desk um chatting with my my, my best friend and we were just kind of joking about fan fiction tropes from the fan fiction we wrote when we were kids um you know and and I was saying like isn't it kind of funny that you know when all, all of us fanfic writers who were in that circle all, always wrote kind of how the the main character would meet you know one of the people in the band like the same way it was always they were at a show and then they happened to meet like why didn't we think of putting them in some other situation like maybe she's she's an assistant at a, at a company and and she gets his sandwich order wrong and she's trying to impress him but she um, messed up and then I just like so I sent that and then I stopped and I said I want to write that I want to write that and then she responded I want you to write that and so everything else kind of unfolded from there but what th th that germ of the idea was just you know uh, an assistant getting someone's sandwich order wrong when she is trying to impress them and just thinking that that might be a fun a funny way for two people to meet so I guess um, from from that idea um, in, you know, the, the G-chat uh, transcripts that you're talking about, like did, um, is that where that uh, that first kind of idea, you know, I'm going to start writing this down. Like how do you then go from those ideas and those conversations to, you know, um, to actual characters that, you know, let's see where they go. Yeah, it's wild. Like I, I've tried to like trace back how this happened because you know I had that G chat conversation, and then I had an outline that I wrote not much later, um, where I started outlining the book. Um, but I know that so immediately after that G chat conversation, I really started thinking about it, and I thought, well, what um, like job would this high profile person have? Um, this person she needs to impress, and you know I thought about a couple of different industries. Um, like maybe it is in the music industry, but I don't know anything about the music industry. And so I thought, well, what if I said it in publishing? And because I know publishing and oh, like side note, if I do that, then maybe I can depict the publishing industry the way I want to depict it, where it's not all like shiny and exciting. Oh, that would be cool. So then maybe if I'm, you know, having this thing and she needs to be an assistant and she's working in publishing and I want to depict it kind of with a little bit more of a, a grim take, then I need her to be kind of a jaded character. And so, okay, she's a jaded editorial assistant. And so it was all just these kind of synapses I think of where you know it started with one thing and then that led me to something else which then led me to something else and that was how it all started unfolding it's like well if I have this jaded editorial assistant I need like a really cheerful optimistic um, person who's this important person okay um, and so that that all started to, to unfold from all those little earlier decisions I was making how important is it Shauna to to have characters in your story that are not perfect and who make questionable, you know, judgment calls all all through their story and um, and, and that, you know, are 
likable and lovable even um but that we as the readers you know can can see ourselves going oh please don't make this decision please don't oh there she goes and (laughs) (laughs) you know like like how important is it to to have people that that make mistakes and have um you know that they don't have perfect stories but very relatable stories i guess i guess what i'm asking is how do you balance you know someone not being perfect um yet still being relatable and someone that we can love and root for even though we may not like the decisions that they're making like it's definitely important to me to have someone who isn't perfect because you know i want characters to be relatable when i'm reading a book i don't want to read about someone who has their entire life figured out because that would make me feel bad about myself. And so I definitely want someone to, you know, readers to be able to relate relate to my characters in some way. Um, The balance thing I'm still trying to figure out because in earlier drafts, like Nora was too imperfect. And so I had some notes saying like, well, can, can Nora like, you know, can, can we show her being good at her job though? Because otherwise, why has she been here for five years if she's not even good at her job um, and and things like that? Or, you know, I realized like, wait, you know, it's, it seems like maybe she's coming across as too down on herself. Maybe I should have the scene here where we, we show her lifting someone up um, or, or go, going out of her way to do something nice for someone. Because if she's just if we're stuck in her head all the time and she's just being snarky in, in her head and we never see her do anything nice and that's not great either. Uh, that is something I'm still working on. And I love reading books that have characters who are are deeply flawed and almost unlikable because I, I think it's fascinating and it's so interesting to see how authors are able to maintain that balance. It's definitely still something that I, I'm still trying to study and work on myself. Who, who is your favorite character to write? You know, sometimes we we think that well, the main protagonist is obviously my favorite, but sometimes other characters come into the story and even if they have a, a minor starring role in the story, they, they, you know, they find a soft spot in your heart. Um, were there any characters like that for you in the story? I think my favorite character was Andrew Santos, the, you know, the best-selling author whose sandwich order Nora gets wrong because he's just so cheerful and optimistic. And I don't know what that's like at all, but it was really fun to write. That's so funny. That's so funny. Well, the book is uh, available everywhere now when you're hearing this must-love books. Uh, this, you know, it's early in, in 2022, is it now? Um, my goodness. Somehow. They tell us. Somehow. Somehow. Uh, but it's available everywhere now. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a book that, that you're going to read. You want to have a copy on your shelf. You want to, you know, turn people on to uh, all year long. This is uh, this is going to be in a lot of people's favorite book of the year. I know I know it's early to make calls like that, but but I, I can see it now. Um, Shauna, if if people are just discovering you, is, is there a place where they can connect with you and follow along on social media? Maybe uh, where can people uh, connect with you? Yeah, I have a few places, uh, still works in progress, but I've got a website, shaunarobinsonbooks.com, and I'm on Twitter at shaunarobs, and very newly on Instagram as of yesterday at shauna.robs. I'm still working it out, but I'm, I'm doing my best, and I would be happy to and excited to connect with people there. Excellent. We'll put links to those places in the show notes of this episode. We'll also link uh, where you can go purchase must-love books on Amazon, get it in Kindle edition or hold the paper in your hand. 
however you like to read or go visit your local bookstore. I'm sure you'll find it there and support local booksellers. Shauna, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. I I loved your questions. They were so much fun to answer. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Glebe's The Jason Crane Series. Welcome to historic Sleepy Hollow, settled in 1640. Jason had looped around the town and had come up Broadway from the south. Behind the retaining wall next to the sign, a yard worker turned on his leaf blower, sending a tidal wave of yellow and red up and over the stones to splash off the windshield of the RV. They passed antique shops, a shell station, and a Food King grocery. This is the same Broadway, you know, said Eliza. It goes all the way down to Times Square. Used to be an Indian trail, Manhattan to Fort Orange, for the fur trapping business. She kissed the dog. Don't worry, baby, nobody's gonna skin you. And you know what the town's most famous for? Well, duh, Jason said. Every kid named Crane, especially one as tall and skinny as Jason, had heard a lifetime of Ichabod jokes. He hoped never to hear another. Did you know it was a real place? Of course, he said, though he hadn't. Don't be so smart, said Eliza. Turn here. The streets sloped towards the Hudson, the hillside trying to shake the village off its back. Jason slipped in behind a UPS truck and drove upwards. They turned onto Gory Brook Road. He stuck his head out the window, trying to pass. The UPS truck turned aside to the right. And he saw the house. Here! 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 said Eliza. She pointed at the driveway of 417 Gory Brook. Jason brought the RV to a smoke-belching halt. The house stood on a knoll, above a steep yard that angled downwards toward the Hudson. An ancient sycamore on the front lawn leaned precariously. The roof was an irregular A-frame, with a long slope on the left and a short one on the right, like a rotated checkmark. The upper floors were trimmed with bands of chocolate-brown wood in a rectangular pattern. They made the house look as if it were trapped behind the bars of a jail cell. A tiny triangular portico extended over the front door, which was rough-hewn, rounded on top, held together by two vertical metal bands, and dotted with nail heads, a gothic novel in braille. The gray-blue curtains at the ground floor bay window gave the place a veiled eye aspect, like his grandmother's cataracts. The house seemed to be inspecting Jason with that eye. What are you doing here, boy? I'm watching you. Eliza put a hand on his shoulder. He jumped. This is it, she said. She slapped the dashboard. This is what? Our new home. But Jason turned to her, baffled. Her face sparkled with delight. Surprise, 